The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. I'm excited to get into the Word. Uh, there's elements of today's message that I'm personally looking forward to. You know, when you, when you are a, a Christian, when you're functioning as a believer, I think it's important to understand something. Uh, one particular element has really had an impact on my life, and that's that, that my life has purpose. Now, I understand that, that we can come to that conclusion that God made me, and I'm, I'm special, I'm, I'm unique, He has a plan for my life. But I mean like your everyday living has purpose. I mean, what I've come to know is that <clears throat> what I experience in my life privately has a corporate purpose. There are things that I will come into uh, uh, contact with throughout the week. Some of those things are, are exciting. Some of those things may be challenging. But as I come into contact with those things, I'll ask myself, what is the corporate purpose for this? Am I experiencing this so that I... Can, can share this with, with someone else? Uh, am I experiencing this so that I should share this with, you know, the congregation? Am I experiencing this for a reason other than just me personally experiencing it? And I, I, I'm here to tell you that the things that you experience in your life have real purpose. Uh, Jesus experienced things and would minister. And in fact, uh, as we live out our lives as believers, we should understand that the things that we walk through, the things that we uh, deal with, have tremendous purpose beyond just ourselves. You can see your, your life as a series of teachings and equippings in order to serve and help others. And so one of the things that, that I'm excited about getting into the Word this week is something that, that I felt like was actually under attack in my life. Now, I don't mind being very transparent and showing my clay feet. I think that's actually important. One of the things that I feel like is under attack is joy. It seems like in, in my life this week, there was such an attack on joy. I would find myself sitting, thinking thoughts that, that I don't believe were inspired by the Holy Spirit. I think they were inspired by, by situation or circumstance, worldly things that were impacting my thoughts. And I would find myself dealing with these things. And of course, the same way that you would shoo away a fly or a mosquito, you can just shoo those thoughts away and, and, and get back to focusing on the promises of God and the things that we have as believers. But I really feel like joy is under attack. I want to talk about joy a little bit this morning, about its importance, and about why it would be under attack. I mean, you can, you can just think that, well, you know, I mean, why, why does the devil care about joy? I mean, it seems to me like the devil just wants me to sin, and so that's his mission. But I want to talk about joy. Joy is very important, and there really is an agenda, a scheme to uh, take away the joy that we've been so richly blessed with. I want to give you a few things we're going to find in the Word as we go through the Scripture together. Uh, some of the things that we look at in the Scripture are going to sound familiar uh, because we use these elements often when we talk about uh, the things that God leads us through. But I want to assure you that today, any repetition that we find is meant to make the revelation of the Word a reality in our lives. So a few things we're going to find. One is the, the path to peace. I mean, that's kind of a poetic way to say it. But there's a, a step one in the scripture to peace. Now, I know ultimately we're talking about joy, so you can connect the dots there. But we're going to find this pathway to peace, and that's something that we all 
need in our lives and that God promises in Jesus. A second thing we're going to find is why Jesus speaks. Why he speaks. I mean, this is an interesting thought, you know. I mean, the, the, when you look at the gospel, when you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, uh, you see that he comes and he, he, he proclaims and he speaks, and he's ministering, he's preaching. When you look at him stand and, and declare why the Holy Spirit's upon him, the Holy Spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach, to proclaim. You see all of these verbal things there. There's a reason why Jesus is speaking. There's a reason why he still speaks today to us individually and to us corporately. And he reveals through the scripture why he's speaking, why he talks. I mean, you know God was quite capable of just sending a massive sign in the sky that would, would declare that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, God could have arranged things so that Jesus never had to say a word. But yet he sends Jesus to speak, to deliver a message, and Jesus says why he speaks, why he's delivering that message. There's a purpose behind it. The third thing we're going to find is how to get into the presence of God. <clears throat> how to get into the presence of God. Now, I'm, I'm not saying this picking on anyone here. In fact, many of you, I mean, we're a small group here in the room, but you can see during praise and worship, I, I was right here, front row, and I'm standing and I'm facing this way. So I, I didn't see anybody else in the room. So just understand that I'm not speaking about anyone in the room this morning at all, at least not intentionally. And I can tell you that, that I've been in praise and worship services where I've noticed a tremendous amount of diversity, you know, where you'll see that, that one person on, on the, the, the front row or off to the side who's dancing like, like nobody else is in the room, you know, like maybe they've had one too many or something like that. But they, this person is completely and totally, you know, responding to worship different than that person. That person maybe is standing there and doing the, you know, the white people dance, which is like this, you know. And then when we really get excited, it's like this, you know. This is, I'm really pumped, man. I'm dancing. And, and that's, that, you know, that person's responding different. And then you look at another person, and that person is responding completely different to the other one, you know. And they're standing there checking their phone, or maybe their arms are folded, or, or maybe they're just standing there, you know, waiting for something to happen and just looking like a, a stone, I mean, you can see all kinds of different responses. It's, it's really interesting to me. And so I, I think that this, when we get to this passage of Scripture, it should make sense. I mean, how to get into the presence of God. I, I know that God can overwhelm with his presence. There's no doubt about that. The glory of God could fill this room and every single person be 100% completely aware of his presence I also know, too, that we could begin to worship and pray or praise and give thanks, or even right now, we could be aware of his presence. Some people would be aware. Some people would be thinking, well, I wonder what I'm supposed to be looking for. What am I supposed to feel? Well, I want to talk about how to get into the presence of God. I think the scripture gives us some guidelines for that, and I think it might make sense, the difference between, you know, that person, that person, that person, that person. Now, listen, we don't measure each other. We don't grade each other. There's not levels of being in the presence of God. I'm just simply pointing out that there's tremendous diversity to praise, worship, prayer, all of those things that celebrate the presence of God. And I want to offer this as a thought to you when we get to it. So that's that. I want to get into the word here, the path to peace. I want you to go in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Philippians chapter 4. This was the first thing we said we'd find, this, this, this 
this path to peace, I want to specifically look at what would be step one. So if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I want to begin reading around verse 4. When you're there in Philippians chapter 4, you'll, you'll find the following. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known before all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Well, this passage of Scripture has a list of of elements that lead to a final result. That final result is your heart and your mind being guarded by Jesus Christ himself, that your hearts and your minds will be guarded, that there will be peace that surpasses all understanding or all comprehension. I want to talk about that for a second. A peace that surpasses all understanding. I mean, I hear that and I'm thinking of some kind of euphoria that has not normally experienced in, in, in the human experience. The reality is, I like the the translation comprehension better. A peace which surpasses all comprehension. What that communicates to me is like, it's a peace that doesn't make sense. I mean, based on all your circumstances, you should be freaking out, but you're not freaking out. Based on all the things that are going on around you, everyone would say, hey, that, that person should really be losing their mind right now. But look at how they're responding to this. They're calm. They're stable, they're secure. That's really why I prefer that word uh, surpasses all comprehension. I mean, I've been in situations before where it seemed like everyone around was, was freaking out or, or bailing water, so to speak, metaphorically, and I felt like the only one stable. And in that situation, I really believed that I experienced a peace that surpassed all comprehension. I mean, I remember being in a situation once working with a team where, where the leader of that team was walking down the halls, literally shouting out the word disaster, catastrophe. And, and I, I, I went and I spoke to that individual and I asked him, would you please keep that to yourself? Because that's not what we are in. We're not in a disaster. We're not in a catastrophe. Jesus is on the throne. God has a plan and, and God is going to execute his plan. Well, that man never walked down the halls yelling that again. Jesus was on his throne at the time and still is. God did have a plan and he did execute his plan. But I think in the midst of trial, in the midst of tribulation, we have the ability to walk in a peace that that those around us that don't have that peace won't understand. And that is the, the, the power of Jesus Christ protecting and guarding our hearts and minds from that worldly outside influence that wants to scream, disaster and catastrophe. So as we look at this, that's where we want to get. I mean, that's the result. Now you see these, these, these steps that lead, you know, the, the prayer, the supplication, the thanksgiving. But I want to look at this first step, the beginning of the statement here, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I mean, if we're making this into a, a step or a pathway to this peace, it starts with rejoicing. Now, this is an interesting thing to me because it's a word that that I don't use in my everyday vocabulary. I mean, it's a word that is very biblical. It's in the Scripture. But I think it's worth considering, talking about, thinking about. I mean, by definition, if you just look up the word rejoice, it's going to say to feel or to show joy or happiness. 
If you look at the word and its root, it's to own or to possess the enjoyment or the pleasure or to have the fruition of something. Now, that, I like that, to have the fruition of something. That means like it's been worked for and now you have the good results. I mean, so the reason why I think I'm drawn to that is because I'm, I'm a farmer at heart. I loved agriculture in my youth. I pursued farming right out of high school. That, that's, that's, I like to play in the dirt. What can I say? And you work, and you work hard, and, and you have expectations and anticipations. You, you put the seed in the ground, you, you, you till, you put the seed in the ground, you, you cultivate, you, you, you nourish, you water, you make provision for, you do all of those things, and then you have a harvest. Well, I'm telling you, you really feel like you've accomplished something once the harvest has been harvested and is in the elevator. It feels great. And so really, when I read that, that's what makes sense to me. It's to own or to possess something actually coming to fruition. And I look at my life, and I see a series of things that have, are not complete yet. I mean, they're not complete. My marriage is not complete yet. My, raising my children, not complete yet. Uh, the, the ministry call on my life and your life, not complete yet. It's the reason why we have great hope in the promise that the one who began a good work in us will continue that good work to completion even until the day of the Lord. We will come to know that, that joy that comes when something comes to fruition. So rejoicing, I mean, I, I think about this and I see this as a necessary thing. I have to ask myself, is this a part of my life? I mean, this past week when I felt like joy was under attack, and I mean, that's a really uh, a beautiful way of saying I felt depression trying to touch my life. I have to ask myself, is rejoicing in Jesus a part of my life? Is that something that has waned? If it's something that has waned, how can I get that back? How, if it's never been present, how can I get it? What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? I want to offer you a passage of scripture just concerning the gospel. And I want to offer it in this, this package. I mean, what is the gospel all about? What's the point of the gospel? I mean, here in a couple of months, have you noticed everything's coming sooner? Everything's coming sooner, right? I mean, I was talking with, with Pastor Jared, and by the way, uh, seated right back over here, you see Mr. and Mrs. Guerrero. Yeah, Jared and Lindsay coming back, having... Been married, what an exciting thing. That is something to rejoice about. Uh, but we were joking and talking about like how early pumpkin came this year, right? He was talking about getting pumpkin in his coffee like in August or something like that, you know. It's still 105 degrees outside in Texas and we're already pitching pumpkin, you know. But I walked through a hardware store the other day and I frequent this hardware store a lot, you know. I'm walking through there, and over here they've got like skeletons, and on this shelf they have Santa Claus. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, pick one, you know? <laughs> Come on. It just doesn't feel right. It feels a little bipolar, you know? Uh, anyway. So it seems like stuff is coming earlier and earlier, but I want to talk about something that normally comes out around, around the time that we celebrate Christmas. Now, I mean, when we're celebrating Christmas, we're celebrating the, the, the birth of Jesus Christ, you know. I want to give you a passage of Scripture that identifies the, the reason for the gospel, so to speak. I'll just offer that to you. Out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 10. 
And I really like to drive this home. I mean, I, I can guarantee you between now and the end of the holiday season, we're probably going to talk about these things a lot. But I, I really think it's important based on what I was feeling this week and what I believe I, I need to share congregationally with you to talk about the importance of joy. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Now here in Luke chapter 2, you, you see something happening. You see this, this angelic announcement of the, the coming of the Messiah, the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of our King, our Savior, the fulfillment of the promises of God, the embodiment of the Father on earth in all of His holiness and perfection. And they make this comment as this announcement is being made, do not be afraid. Man, what a great thing to deal with any attempt for depression to enter into your life. Step one, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news. Now, good news is, is we have the word gospel. The word gospel means good news. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Well, I count as all people. I'm in that category, and so are you. Now, we've lived out our lives with an understanding of, that the Word of God is, is powerful and that the, we have the Gospels that we stand on. Well, the Gospels are the good news, but good news about what? And I love this passage of Scripture because it reveals what the good news is about. I mean, I got news for you. If they start selling $10 taco boxes at Taco Bell, that's good news to some people, right? But we have good news of a great joy of a great joy that will be for all people. There's something about this that I'm, I'm thinking, God knows how to make an announcement. He knows how to make an entrance. I mean, the one that could turn the sky black, the one that can, can part the seas, the one that can make the earth shake, He knows how to get a point across. And when He's talking about the most important thing that has ever happened in all of history, that's what He sends is the word. Go and announce this. I'm sending good news of a great joy, and it's going to be for everyone. You can't even say that without feeling depression quiver and shake and want to just flee and run for it. I'm telling you, there's something about this that we need to catch, a priority in this message that God has released joy into our lives. I want to just read to you a definition of joy. I mean, this is... Just turning to a generic dictionary, joy, the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. I want to read that again, okay? The emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Now, this announcement of this, this good news, this good news of a great joy is referring to Jesus Based on this definition of joy, that would make Jesus this exceptionally good thing in my life, this exceptionally satisfying element in my life. The emotion of great delight and happiness. When I have to ask myself, has rejoicing been a part of my life? I'm asking myself, am I still feeling that delight and that happiness caused? Am I seeing Jesus as this exceptionally good and exceptionally satisfying element in my existence? Is he still present in that, uh, uh, by that definition in my heart and in my mind? Or has something else taken his place? Have I gotten caught up in, 
in something, whether it be business or whether it be personal, whether it be relational, has something else taken that place of being exceptionally satisfying in my life? Because I can promise you this, anything that takes his place as being exceptionally good or satisfying will let you down. It will let me down. Even if it's my own strength and I begin to gain confidence in my ability to succeed and my ability to make things happen, eventually something will fall to pieces and I will be left wondering what went wrong. It's all because it was flawed from the start. He is the foundation that will not be shaken. And every aspect of our life that is to remain must be founded upon Him. I want to talk to you about joy as a priority. Joy as a priority in our lives. Now, Jesus spoke about joy. He spoke about joy a lot. Uh, He he spoke about joy more than he spoke about being born again. He spoke about joy often. I want to give you an idea of the priority of joy when he's speaking about entering into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, He speaks about it in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. In Matthew 13, in verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. And a man finds it, hides it again, or he puts it back, and for joy over it, goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. He sees what's available to him, and because of the joy that he has for what's available to him, he's willing to, to rid himself of all of his possessions. He's willing to leave everything behind in order to obtain that one thing that has moved him with such joy. Try to read that passage without joy, and all of a sudden, it, it doesn't make sense. That is the, the, the key element in this, is the excitement, the drive, the motivation to go and perform this act in order to receive or to obtain that which God has made available to us, we have this call to see that as being exceptionally good or satisfying and be willing to abandon all else in that place. I want to give you a passage of of Scripture here out of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 28 is a wonderful passage of Scripture outlining the the benefits of blessing and walking in the blessing of God and then the the other side of that, to to be outside of God's favor. I want to give you a, a passage of Scripture here that speaks about joy and how we're called to live our life. Deuteronomy chapter 28, I want to read verses 47 and 48. Now, here's what I want to guarantee you before I read this. Now, we have read this before together, and, and we will we'll read it again. But this morning before I read it, I want to just assure you, you've never seen this passage of Scripture on a bumper sticker. You know, this isn't on a refrigerator magnet or something like that. But it's very important for us to understand that God is providing this for our benefit. He's revealing to us the importance of of keeping and maintaining our joy, keeping Jesus as the satisfying, the uh, 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 good that is in our life, that which is exceptionally good or satisfying by definition. So Deuteronomy chapter 28, beginning in verse 47, it it starts with a, a because statement, revealing the cause and then the effect to follow. Because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joy, 
That's very important that you see that. Because you didn't serve the Lord with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things that he's provided. Now here comes the effect. Therefore, therefore now you will serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, in lack of all things. And God, capital H, and he will put an iron yoke around your neck until he has destroyed you. That's really weighty. Now, first of all, you have to know the heart of God to rightly interpret that scripture. God isn't after you to destroy you. He is after you to elevate you. He's at work in my heart and in your heart to see to it that we have the benefits of the blessing that he so richly bestowed upon our lives. And in this case, that benefit hinges upon our serving God, our Christianity, our faith, our life being lived out with joy. Not out of religious duty or obligation, but an awareness and an understanding that God has done this exceedingly great and satisfying thing in bringing Jesus into our lives. I want to just move from this, and I want to talk about how Jesus speaks concerning joy. I mean, in fact, I want to tell you why he speaks in the first place. And we talked about that a little bit when we opened up the message. The idea that God could have done anything. I mean, he could have arranged the stars to say, Jesus is king. I mean, he could have done anything, but instead, Jesus is born, and he speaks. He preaches, he proclaims, he speaks, he speaks today, he speaks to us corporately, he speaks to us individually, he's speaking, and there's a reason why he speaks. You'll see this in John 17, you'll see it in John 15, he's speaking about why he's talking. In John 15, John 15, 11, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to those around him, and he says, these things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and so that your joy may be made full. I'm speaking these things so that you can hear them, so that you can receive them, and the result would be you'll have the same joy that I have, and that your joy will finally be fulfilled. No longer contingent upon, you know, things and material possessions, but now you will come to know what is such good news, that great joy that is meant to be that exceptionally good or satisfying element that God, your loving Father, has brought into your life. He talks about it again when he's praying for you in John chapter 17. Jesus is praying in John chapter 17. Jesus is speaking to the Father, and he's speaking to the Father regarding you. And as he prays for you, he prays this prayer. And now, Father, I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Not only is it the foundation of his message and his words to you, it's also invaded his prayer life. Praying and interceding for you and for me. God, let them hear the words that I speak to them that they might have joy. I mean, Jesus is waging war against the, the depression that exists in this world. And he's bringing to us, through that good news that God promised, himself, that we might have his joy. Not just that God would make us happy or pacify us, but that we could come to know the joy of Jesus Christ and therefore have our joy made full. Now, remember in John chapter 15, when he's speaking to the people around him and he's saying, these things I've spoken to you so that you might have my joy. 
I want to share with you what he's talking about in that chapter. I mean, what the, the these things are. He's talking about fruitfulness. I mean, John chapter 15 is when Jesus would stand and say, hey, I'm, I'm the vine and you're the branches. I mean, he's basically saying, I'm the root. All good things, all nourishing things, all things that you need to live and to prosper come through me. If you cut yourself off from me, you won't produce. But if you stay grafted into me, if we stay one, then you will produce. You'll produce good fruit, and this glorifies God. He says in John 15, 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, it must abide in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I mean, Jesus is making it very clear that this, this joy that we're meant to receive is 100% contingent upon our ability to be connected to him. He's made a way for all of that to happen. When I find that joy is fleeting in my life, I have to ask myself, has, have I grafted myself in to that which is not Jesus? Am I leaning on the thing that is not Jesus Christ? Am I, am I drawing nourishment from something that's not Jesus? Why is it that all of the sudden, joy, when I have such a source of joy that will never dry up, why has it become dry in my life? Why is this a struggle? I think Jesus makes it very clear. These are the things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Abide in me. I abide in you, just as the branch doesn't bear fruit unless it is connected to the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I want to tell you the, the proof of this. I mean, it's very easy for us to know when joy is absent. It's easy for me to know when I'm fighting weird thoughts and, and having to shoo those thoughts away or, or when things don't feel right or they feel off or, or depression is creeping in. We can feel those things because those things are, are seemingly very tangible, you know. We often notice those things that bring discomfort and, and frustration. And then oftentimes we take for granted the things that bring comfort. I mean, I can give you a great example of that. Uh, I'm sure that, that I can remember... Uh, you know, times when my children pitched fits or maybe times when my wife and I had fights and conflict. But there are countless days where things were great that, that I don't really have exact memories of because I take for granted those things. So for us, it can be very easy to take for granted when the joy of God is flowing in our lives, but we can always identify when joy is absent. So I want to talk about the proof of joy flowing through our lives. One of the proofs or one of the evidences would be fruitfulness. I mean, just like Jesus said, I'm telling you this so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be made full. Just like a, a branch doesn't bear fruit unless it's plugged into the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Fruitfulness. In John 15, verse 8, Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. My disciple, meaning be an, a, a replica, a duplicate, one who... Uh, mimics me. And on that, I want to offer this, the idea of rejoicing. Now, I know that this isn't a, a, an exact breaking down of the word, but I want to offer this to you because when I'm thinking about the word rejoicing, I, I can't help but notice the, the prefix re, re, you know. I mean, think of the word repeat, 
let's just say something in this message were to move you in your heart and you were, you were out having lunch later on today, you run into a friend and they tell you something and you repeat part of the message, you know, to encourage them or, or to, just to share it with them, you would be duplicating that which was original, right? That would be the, the repeating of it. And then maybe they go and repeat it. It's duplicated again. And, and then they go and repeat it and it's duplicated again. I believe the call on every believer's life is to duplicate the joy of Jesus Christ. That we have a call to rejoice. That he has gone out of his way to speak and to speak for this reason. That we might have his joy and our joy be made full. So that when the world sees us, it can see the joy of Jesus on our lives and through our lives. And therefore see Jesus. Another evidence of this is going to be fellowship. It's a statement that's made in John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want to offer this to you as we begin to close the message here, and it's what makes Jesus, Jesus. If I'm called to, to duplicate his joy, if I'm called to repeat that which was original or to duplicate that which was original by rejoicing, I need to know what makes him who he is so that I can live my life in a similar fashion. I want to give you this out of the scripture as it concerns what makes Jesus, Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. I want to offer you a passage of scripture, Philippians 2, 5. Now, Philippians 2, chapter 5 says this, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. I want to read more than that because I want us to have the context of that attitude. Philippians chapter 2. I want to begin reading in verse 3. It's a call for how we're called to, to function, how we're called to live, how we're called to, to think and operate. Do nothing from selfishness. You know, if, if every believer embodied that in their life, do you realize how few problems there would be? I mean, that is absolutely a phenomenal call. And, it, and Jesus embodies the fulfillment of that call. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. He existed in the form of God, but did not regard equality with God. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord." to the glory of God the Father. We have this attitude that is the opposite of selfishness. 
the complete embodiment of being selfless. And that is the attitude of Jesus Christ. It is the attitude that God exalts. It is the attitude that we are called to have as we're called to duplicate that which is original. And when Jesus is speaking, when he's preaching, when he's teaching, when he's leading us and guiding us into the maturity that we're called to walk in, he's doing so so that we might have his joy. His joy being embracing the same thing that he sees as exceptionally good or satisfying, the delight or the happiness caused by those things. He has gone out of his way to bring into our life his ways, the ways of selflessness. I want to offer this to you as an evidence of walking selflessly. I mean, if I were to ask myself, am I a selfless person, I would, I would give myself an A+. And I would tell you all the things I've done and all the hardships that I've suffered so that other people, I would have a long list that makes me sound pretty awesome. But then if you were to ask the people around me, hey, how does Preston fit as it concerns this description? You, you might get a whole other answer. And you'll see it there in Philippians 2. I want to read verses 14 and 15. The proof of one who is empty to self. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you'll prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you appear as lights in the world. I want to pause there for a second. I think there's a copy and paste issue there with the address for that scripture. But it's a call in our lives to live in such a way that we're not grumbling or complaining. That we're doing things in such a way that we're proving to be the blameless, the innocent, the children of God. Those who are duplicating the very nature of Jesus Christ. The very reason why he came to speak to us in the first place. It's how we can appear as light. I mean, we're not called to appear as light by, by doing the, the programs and the projects by themselves, we're called to do those things with a heart that is filled with joy and celebration, the absence of grumbling and disputing. I want to offer this to you as we, we close, and that's that the foundation of functioning without grumbling and complaint is to be one whose heart is filled with gratitude. I want you to think about something in, in, in um, an, an area of your life where you have tremendous gratitude. And what that looks like, what it feels like, an area where you're, you're, you're very thankful. And I can tell you that some, for some, this can be a difficult thing. I remember uh, pastoring at a church in Oklahoma, and, and we opened the service, and I'd called people to, to a time of prayer as we opened the service to, to release their thanks to God for all that he's done. And I tell you, there, for about the first five to ten seconds, there was this... this the sound of many waters, so to speak, as the voice is there. And after about 10 seconds, it just got quiet. And I became aware, we have a hard time realizing how much we have to be grateful for. I mean, not, not making any accusation in this statement, but the concern would be we're spoiled rotten. And we've lost track of how much we have to be thankful for to the point that when we're asked to, to release that gratitude in prayer or in praise, it has to be led and coaxed, whether it's by worship leader or words on a board. It's very difficult for us to let that flow naturally from our heart. And I want God to, 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 
to open that well in me and in you, that we be a people of gratitude. I want you to ask yourself something. Have you ever heard somebody be grateful and complain at the same time? No. And this whole attitude that we're called to have, this attitude that has the absence of grumbling and complaining, is going to mean having an attitude of thanks and gratitude. Being grateful in all things. And when you see in the scripture what gratitude brings, it's amazing that God would call us to such a thing. And it's also easy to see why it's necessary to be grateful in order to have joy. I want to tell you how I combated that depression that attempted to touch my life this week by getting grateful. By sitting down and starting to give thanks to God for the things that he's brought into my life. The things that he's delivered me from. The promises that I'm still waiting for that he is is faithful to bring into existence. I got grateful and you got to see something take place. It wasn't that the gratitude drove away the depression. It's that the gratitude opened the door for joy. And the joy drove out the depression. Let me give you a passage of Scripture here. As, as, as there's two more passages. We, we said of the three things we're going to find, how to get into the presence of God. I kind of made that goofy analogy of how people respond in different meetings and stuff. You know, one person can be over here, and it seems like they're about to be raptured to heaven, and the other person back there, you know, with arms folded and scowling face, wondering how many more songs are they going to sing or something like that. It's the same environment, but two totally different responses. What's different between one person and another? I want to offer this to you just as a thought. It's not a rebuke. It's just a thought, something to think about. It's impossible to get into God's presence when you're ungrateful. I mean, Jesus dealt with this. You know, a woman bursts in a room when he's meeting with a group of men and she's weeping and and crying and falls at his feet and and begins to to wash his feet with her tears and everyone just says, oh, this is is unbelievable. This is is unthinkable. Do you know what kind of woman that is? And and you're letting her touch you. This is is unthinkable. The, The truth is both of these people, this woman and this group of men, were in the same room where Jesus was but they were having completely different responses to his presence. And when Jesus dealt with that, he said, hey, listen, she's been forgiven of much. Let me reword that. She's got a lot to be grateful for. And that's why she's responding to my presence different than you are. Gratitude. Gratitude. Let me give you this passage of Scripture, Psalm 100, verse 4. Psalm 100, verse 4. Now the His is with a capital H, so it's referring to that which belongs to God. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and enter His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. I want to read that again, and then I want to comment on it. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and enter His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. I want to offer this as a thought. That without gratitude, you'll never get through the gate. Without gratitude, you'll always be on the outside looking in. Without gratitude, it's impossible to enter through the gates, uh, to get into the courts where he's present. Those things take gratitude and praise. And here's why entering through those gates and entering into those courts is so important because there's something found there that is absolutely necessary for each of us as believers. 
Psalm 16, verse 11 says, In your presence is the fullness of joy, and in your right hand pleasure forever. I want to get grateful to get through the gates and get into the courts where there is the presence of God where I find joy. That which Jesus made a way for, where he can say, hey, listen, guys, I've been talking to you for years now, and I've been saying these things so that you can have what I have, so that you can have my joy and your joy be made full, be complete. He's bringing us good news. No matter what we deal with, no matter what we face, we always have something that we can be grateful for, and that's Jesus. It doesn't matter what letters are in your mailbox, what phone calls are blowing up your phone. It doesn't matter what your friends are doing, what's happening in your family. We can always be a people who are grateful to get through the gates and grateful to enter into the the courts, grateful to be in the presence of God and come to know that joy which brings pleasure and delight. That's the power of Jesus. That is the good news. He is the great joy. He is that which is exceptionally good and satisfying in our lives. I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do something in each of us. I I want to ask God to do a work in our hearts and our minds. That would mean having an effect on our attitudes. I want this, and I want to ask if you're willing to join with me in this. I want to to ask God, I mean, I want to be the most grateful person on earth. I mean, if there's a record that could be set, I want to set it. I mean, I think that's really the the drive that, that all of us need. Let's just all compete for that. To be the most grateful person that's ever walked the face of the earth. Father, whatever needs to come out of me, let it come out. Whatever needs to be put in me, let it be put in me. But let me be a grateful man. I want to pray. I want to ask God to do that for us. And I believe that when gratitude rises in the hearts of believers, we see wonderful and powerful things. We see no room for anxiety and depression to afflict. We see a celebration of all that matters in this world. I believe that that turns on and up the light that God's called us to be in this world. According to the scripture, we prove ourselves to be children of God, lights standing out in the darkness, that we stand as his children in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. It means we stand out as different when we're grateful. I want to pray. You're welcome to be in agreement with me or simply in a state of receiving. Father, we thank you for your word. We receive your word as truth. We desire to see great things take place in our hearts, in our minds. Let there be a transformation that where there has been a place made for grumbling and complaining, let that place be no more. But let us become grateful in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we are. Let it be revealed in our attitudes. Let it be revealed in our speech. Let it be revealed in our actions. Let gratefulness prevail in the hearts and the minds of your people. Let it be released through our lips. Let it be displayed through our acts. Let us be a people who would truly be thankful for all that you've done on our behalf in King Jesus. 
We thank You for the presence of Your Spirit. We surrender to the work of Your Spirit. Let deliverance take place. Let impartation take place. Let all that is needed come to pass that we might be a grateful people. If there is an element in our heart or our mind that needs to go, let it go now. If there is an element in our heart or in our mind that needs to be imparted, let it be imparted now. Let your mercy and your grace prevail over all of our shortcomings and let there be a release of gratitude in and through your people. That when we lift our hands in praise, we understand the freedom that we have in Jesus. That we be moved to express that gratitude and praise and worship and celebration. Let us freely come and go through those gates in and out of your courts, receiving your joy, and let us take your joy into the world and stand out as light in the darkness. Let us be grateful. We give you thanks. We rejoice in you. We celebrate the work of your Spirit in our lives. And we trust and know that the work that you began in us, you will continue. And as we step into gratitude, let the resulting joy be evident. To your glory, we thank you and we praise your name in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.